So if you'd open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, that's our text this morning, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The topic, the church is born as Jesus sends the promised baptism with the Holy Spirit upon the 120 disciples. The title of our message, Birth, Wind, and Fire. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. Let's pray together. Father, we are your church as we've gathered together here today, your beloved sons and daughters. We look back now at Acts chapter 2 and see the birthday of the church, and we're thankful, Lord, for this work that you began and called upon your disciples to continue, and we want to be disciples who continue your work as well. And so minister to us this morning, Lord. Increase our understanding of the topics that we will discuss, but mostly our understanding of who you are and what you desire to do in our lives and through our lives. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. The headline read, Wind-Whipped Fire Erupts in Malibu. It described the wildfire two weeks ago fanned by Santa Ana winds that destroyed four seaside mansions and damaged two others. Because of the wind, it spread quickly, but was contained by firefighters after about two hours. 2,000 years ago, a wind-whipped fire erupted in Jerusalem. It spread from 120 believers into a large crowd that had gathered because of it. It then spread through the crowd, affecting 3,000 of them, as we'll see later in this chapter. It continued to spread throughout the events of the book of Acts. It continues to spread today. It cannot be contained. It was what Jesus called the promise of the Father and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It was and is the power to be witnesses of Jesus throughout the whole earth. We want to take a fresh look at this baptism with the Holy Spirit and with the baptizer. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, you receive the promised baptism. And number two, you reveal the precious baptizer. First of all, in verses one through four, you receive the promised baptism. 
A great deal of confusion and contention surrounds the subject of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It may be an oversimplification, in fact it is, but Christians generally choose one of two camps when discussing it. There are those conservative folks who say the baptism with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was a unique historic event never to be repeated. Afterwards, it simply means that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and are born again, you are automatically placed into or baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Thus, there is no experience of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, whether your phone goes off or not. Thank you. Choosing the... (laughs) That actually was a charismatic phone. (laughs) Choosing the other camp are those charismatic folks who say the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a definite further experience with the Holy Spirit that you must strive to initially receive. You know you've received it, most of them say, when you start speaking with other tongues. Which is it? Well, you can tell by the way I framed it, it's neither. There is a baptism with the Holy Spirit for every Christian to experience, but you never strive to receive it, and speaking in tongues is not the evidence of it. And so let's look again in verse one where it says, the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. Pentecost means 50, or pente is the you know, prefix that means 50. The day of Pentecost was 50 days after the Jewish Passover. It was in June, in the early spring of the Jewish year. It was essentially a celebration of the winter harvest in which the first fruits of your crops were brought before the Lord. Their offering signified that you trusted the Lord for a further, greater harvest. It was the perfect birthday for the church. The 120 believers were the first fruits of a much greater harvest to come. All those who would be saved between the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven and the rapture of the church and the resurrection of the dead that ends the church age. The 120 believers were all with one accord. They were in total unity and agreement about their assignment. They were to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They did not know what it was, only that it would empower them to be witnesses throughout the entire world. They were in one place, and that means they were all present, every one of them. Uh, You know, at that time, 120, no one was off anywhere else. They were all together in one accord. And then the promised baptism with the Holy Spirit occurs in verses two and three. Verse two, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Now the word house here can refer to the upper room of the house. We know that they were gathered in the upper room after the ascension of Jesus. But it can also refer to the house of God, the temple. 
Luke in his gospel, Luke who's the writer of Acts, also wrote the gospel of Luke, he mentions in his gospel that the 120 split their time between the upper room and the temple. And so it's possible they were in the upper room. It's also possible they were in the temple. Exactly where they were isn't the issue, but uh, you know, if you think it through, if they were in the upper room when this happened, it must have been in the vicinity of the temple and they would have had to come down into the temple precincts to preach and uh, you know, the phenomena to continue. If they're in the temple, uh, then this happened all at once while they were just seated there at a certain time during the day. So they were, they were probably in the temple. And they were sitting, which is not the usual posture for prayer among the Jews, by the way. Jews usually stood or knelt to pray. Not always, but they did have these normal postures. They may have been praying, but we can't say for sure. Now, I only mention it because so often folks are taught that you must fervently pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit and that he only comes upon you after you've tarried long in earnest prayer. Kind of like Linus waiting for the great pumpkin. Seriously, I mean, it sounds funny, but that is how the Holy Spirit is sometimes portrayed, that, that if you have the most sincere pumpkin patch, then he will come to your pumpkin patch. And if he doesn't come, then you just weren't sincere enough. Uh, it may be that they were praying at that moment. Uh, it may not be, we just don't know. Uh, and it's not the case that this baptism with the Holy Spirit only comes after long, earnest, fervent prayer. As we'll see, it is a promise to simply be received. Now, suddenly means they weren't really expecting the sound. It sounded like a rushing mighty wind. There was no wind, only the sound of it. And so all of a sudden, without any buildup, they were in the midst of a windless spiritual hurricane. Wind can sound really awesome. I mean, some of you have been in some real situations uh, where you've just, the wind is just whipping. And this is what it sounded like. And then there was the sight of fire. Now, the description seems to indicate that the fire appeared over them, which divided and spread until a single flame tongue of fire was over each one of them. It was in the form of a tongue, perhaps because it would be through their spirit-empowered speech that the gospel would be spread. The wind preceded the fire. The church age is an age of hearing. We can have visuals, no problem there, but it is an age of hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so we live in an age in which God desires the word of God to be preached to the hearing of individuals. It is his method of salvation. Now the sound of the wind and the sight of the fire these are obviously a one-time phenomena at the birth of the church. They are not repeated. They were given as symbols to teach us what the baptism with the Holy Spirit is for. Wind is a divinely chosen symbol of God the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us this in the Gospels. I believe it's when he's talking to Nicodemus. He says that the Spirit is like the wind. He comes from heaven. He's in the world. He moves at will. No one can control him. You can see his effect, but you can't really, you know, know much more than that. Now, there are many things that fire might symbolize in Scripture, so many that we miss the obvious. Wind 
always affects fire. The wind spreads the fire, and in this case, wind spread the fire until it sat upon each one of the 120 believers in equal measure. No one had more, no one had a bigger tongue of fire than somebody else. They weren't, you know, measuring the tongues of fire that were over each of them to see who had more of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent from heaven upon the disciples. He spread a fire over each of them, baptized by him as these men and women spread throughout the world preaching the gospel. That initial fire would also spread because that is what wind-whipped fire always does. Jesus said they would receive the promise of the Father, the baptism with the Spirit, in order to be witnesses who spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And this is what this symbolism also shows us. And so we can say that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is the wind-whipping power that comes upon us in order to spread the gospel like a fire. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That, that makes perfect sense. Now, what happened next was not the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They are said to be filled with the Spirit. Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we're going to talk about the tongues in a moment, I promise you. I know that's what you're, you came here for. No, I'm just kidding, but it is a, everybody loves to hear about tongues. I don't know why, but it's a fun subject. We're gonna talk about the tongues in a moment. First, I want to emphasize what I just said. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is something different than the baptism with the Holy Spirit. These disciples were baptized with the Spirit only once in verse two and three on the day of Pentecost. They were also filled with the Holy Spirit that day. They would never be baptized with the Holy Spirit again, but they would go on being filled with the Holy Spirit again and again. In Acts chapter four, verse 31, we'll see there, they are filled again. We're told that the room shook at that time. Paul the Apostle is described as being filled with the Spirit on at least two separate occasions in Acts, in chapter 9 and in chapter 13. Later, in Ephesians 5.18, Paul would write a command to all believers to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit as a repeatable experience. And so here's what I'm saying. Jesus said you would receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It is an unconditional promise. He said, you guys go and wait, it's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's an unconditional promise. Paul commands you to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. If it's something that you're commanded to do, then that makes it conditional. And so it is thus a different experience or a different relationship with the Holy Spirit than the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so here's what I believe is being taught in scripture. There is a one-time baptism with the Holy Spirit that is available to every believer. All believers are also commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to go on being filled throughout their Christian lives as they yield to his influence and cooperate with his work in their lives. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit when sometime in your Christian walk you realize and then receive by faith that God the Holy Spirit has empowered you to be witnesses. Let me give you a biblical example. You don't need to turn there, you can look later. In Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul 
will encounter a group of believers who had been disciples of John the Baptist. John had taught them that Jesus would come and that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said no, because they hadn't heard that the Holy Spirit was given. Paul explained that the Holy Spirit had been given, which seems to be a reference to the baptism with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Paul baptized them in water, then the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so what you have in Acts 19, the disciples of John, they are believers. Before they were baptized in water, they must have been born again. So they're believers maybe in an Old Testament sense uh, uh, you know, of how people believed in the Old Testament. They hadn't really received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But Paul spoke to them and then he baptized them in water something he would never do unless they were genuinely saved, unless they had received the Holy Spirit within them. After being water baptized, they had not received the promise of the Father, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, but they did then receive it by faith. The Holy Spirit is said to come upon them, and they were also filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in these disciples, we see that the Holy Spirit was with them, then he came in them, and then he fell upon them, and then he filled them. And this is a very normal progression that plays itself out elsewhere in Scripture, and this seems to be the teaching of the Bible on our relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is with us, leading us to Christ. He comes in us when we are saved. He falls upon us in the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and then we are to be filled with the Spirit throughout our lives. That is a conditional promise as we cooperate with His yielding. Now, this is not just splitting hairs. I know sometimes you say, you know, all these terms, isn't it all just the same thing, and why do I need to worry about this? Well, for one thing, it is what the book of Acts seems to be teaching in chapters 2 and 19 and elsewhere. And after all, we are teaching the Bible. We want to teach what the Bible actually says. Years ago, I had somebody come up to me after we uh, were teaching in 1 Corinthians about the, the supernatural spiritual gift of tongues. And they said, does it really matter? I mean, what's the big deal about tongues? I said, well, you know, personally as a pastor, I'd like to take that chapter out of the Bible. It would solve a lot of problems and contention in the Christian uh, you know, camp. Uh, but that chapter's in the Bible, and so you have to deal with it. And so this is what the Bible seems to be teaching in chapters 2 and 19 and elsewhere. For another thing, it keeps you from making errors that most people make in their walk with the Lord when it comes to the power to be witnesses. Because after all, Jesus said to his first disciples, you need the baptism with the Spirit in order to be witnesses. And it matters what we believe about that in terms of how we approach the power to be witnesses. For one thing, the conservative teaching that there is no individual baptism with the Holy Spirit for you to ever realize in your own personal life, quite honestly, it leads many people into a life of self-dependence and almost legalism as they come to uh, think of themselves as just you know, having to have enough discipline to become the witnesses that God wants them to be. And it leads churches into programs rather than to depend on God's power to be witnesses. A lot of times, for example, in Calvary Chapel, people say, what is your plan for evangelism? 
What is your program? Do you follow uh, you know, Evangelism Explosion by G- D. James Kennedy or do you, you know, are you following this plan or this program? Our program for evangelism is that individual believers would be witnesses of Jesus Christ wherever they are. And, and the closest we can come to calling it anything is sometimes you'll hear me or other Calvary pastors say that healthy sheep beget other sheep. And that's really the idea. And so we're not looking for a program of evangelism. We're looking to encourage, edify, build up, and strengthen believers in their most holy faith because they are the program for evangelism. And so oftentimes this extreme, or not even so extreme, but just this generally conservative teaching that, hey, you know, you were baptized into the body of Christ, now you just need to figure out how to be a Christian. It leads to a legalistic, programmatic view of who God is. The charismatic teaching that correlates the baptism with the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues leads you to believe that it is something that must be earned or learned. And these are terrible, terrible tragedies. If you don't receive it, then you must not be holy or sincere enough to have earned it. But that's okay because you can learn how to speak in tongues, they say, and then through the back door claim that you've received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. More than one person over the years has told me that, yeah, Gene, that's sadly true in the charismaniac church that I was going to. (laughs) They urge you to come forward to receive this baptism with the Holy Spirit. And of course, anytime somebody says that, you know, that, they say, well, how do I know I've got it? And they say, well, you speak in tongues just like the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And if you're sincere and you're just not able to speak in tongues, for a while you think you're just not earnest enough. You haven't earned this relationship with God. And then after a while, they will give you little mantras that you can repeat to loosen your tongue. And they always, if you say them really fast, turn into a prayer language. Usually it's Shiro to Honda. And then if you say it really fast, it's Shiro Honda. And then you're speaking in tongues. We upgrade this to Shiro to Harley, but... uh, just to keep step, or BMW doesn't really work, but anyway. And so do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus said this is a gift to receive. The conservatives say, no, it's not. You just get it when you get saved. The charismatic says, oh, sure, it's a gift, but you have to earn it and strive for it, and uh, you know, if you're not good enough to get it, we'll help you f- sneak in the back end. And, and so that can't be right. So yes, it does make a difference what you've been taught and what you believe. Some of you are very challenged right now. Some of you think we're on the verge of charismania because I'm talking about the baptism with the Spirit. Others are praying for me that I would receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's just the way it is. If you've been taught that there is no experience of the baptism with the Holy Spirit to receive, guess what? You're not going to receive it. And if you've been taught that the baptism with the Spirit always involves speaking with other tongues, then you are not going to receive it, not the real baptism, because that is not what it is for. At this point in my life, and I'll be the first to admit to you that teaching in this area can be difficult, 
because you're, just when you think you've got it, you have to remember that you're dealing with the person of Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. They, are, they have personality, they're real, they're alive, and we are always trying to analyze it and to check things off, and you can only know a person so well. Do you understand that? I mean, you can know your spouse pretty well after 20, 30, 40 years of marriage, but we will not know Jesus or the Holy Spirit fully until we are face-to-face in heaven. And so we're always a little bit short of a full-orbed understanding. And this is another reason I don't like the conservative teaching on the Holy Spirit, because it, even though they say he's a person, they reduce him to a force, and they, uh, you know, you can you can check off everything you know about him and everything he does, and there's nothing outside of that realm that he would ever do. And and so it's very interesting. So at this point in my life, I've come to think of the baptism with the Holy Spirit as this one-time realization, light going on in my head, understanding that the power to be witnesses to Jesus is a promise to realize and then receive one time by faith. And this matches the experiences believers had in the Bible, And it matches many testimonies I've heard from believers who, after they had been saved, came into an understanding of the Holy Spirit's empowering them to be witnesses. I then go on being filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily, moment-by-moment basis as I cooperate with his work in my life. Now, when we started our studies in Acts, I said that it was all about Jesus, and it is, The baptism with the Holy Spirit points you to the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. In verses 5 through 13, you reveal the precious baptizer. I said we'd get back to tongues, and so let's do it. Verses 4 through 11. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are are not these Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then they list all of the various nations that they come from. Uh, In verse 11, speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Every male Jew within 20 miles of Jerusalem was required to be in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Many others made the annual pilgrimage. Estimates range from 100,000 to nearly 1 million Jews being in the city at this time. The crowd was diverse because the Jews had been dispersed all over the known world. It was made up of Jews whose homes were in all these geographic regions listed, not only their homes, but their places of birth. There are two very, very important points we need to make about what is actually said in these verses. First, the tongues spoken by the 120 were known foreign languages. If this were happening today, they would be speaking English and Spanish and French and German and Portuguese and Dutch, but especially Italian. (laughs) They were not ecstatic utterances. They were not a private prayer language. They were not going around saying she rode a Honda or a Harley. None of that. It was something complete. They were speaking the known languages of all the people that were represented there. 
Now, this is important because I will suggest to you that what happened here in Acts on the day of Pentecost is entirely different from what is later described in the New Testament as the gift of tongues. The only thing they share together is the word tongue, which means languages. The gift of tongues is described later in the Scripture by the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, as an unknown prayer language that requires a supernatural interpretation to understand. If the interpretation is supernatural, it's not something, I mean, if somebody starts speaking in tongues, you don't say, hey, that sounds like French. Get somebody who speaks French or let's pray for the supernatural interpretation of the gift of tongues. And so it's, a, it's an unknown prayer language that requires a supernatural interpretation to understand. And Paul says, when you speak with the gift of tongues, no one understands you because you are speaking mysteries. Nothing could be clearer in 1 Corinthians 14 that whatever Paul is talking about is not foreign languages. It is an ecstatic prayer language. And we're not going to argue today or talk about the gift of tongues and it's, you know, whether it's for today or not and how all that works. I just want you to wrap yourself around this idea that what happened on the day of Pentecost is not the gift of tongues that we so often confuse it with later on in Scripture. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit to give them the power to be witnesses. They were filled with the Holy Spirit to give them the ability they needed right then to be witnesses, which in this case was a miraculous gift of speaking in known foreign languages that they had never learned. Amazing. Now, the second thing to point out is a little more subtle, but very beautiful. All of the Jews in this multitude, all of them spoke the common languages of the day. They all spoke Aramaic, probably Hebrew, certainly Greek. These, the idea here isn't that all these people came together and couldn't understand each other. They all spoke a common language. So one of the things the Roman Empire did is it established a common language. And so they could communicate with one another. It was therefore not necessary for them to hear God being praised in their own native languages. Now, I don't know if I've ever really thought about that before, but it was interesting to me. It wasn't in order to communicate the wonderful works of God. It was to communicate it in their own native tongue. So why the miracle? Well, imagine hearing God being praised by Galilean Jews in Jerusalem in your own native birth tongue. There's an intimacy to it. God was revealing himself to them in a very personal way. When you're in a group and you can start talking to one or several people in a native language that only you know. It sets you apart. It connects you together. It can be something precious. This was God's method to break open their hearts in order to hear the words Peter would shortly speak in the common language. 3,000 in that crowd would be saved that day. The baptism with the Spirit and the subsequent filling of the Holy Spirit was all about revealing Jesus. 
He said that the disciples would be witnesses, and in that moment, they all were, as they were speaking about the wonderful works of God in the native tongues of all those in the crowd. I can think of no more fantastic way for Jesus to say to those unbelieving Jews, I have risen, I am the Lord, I know you, I am revealing myself personally to you. To use a modern expression, it's as if Jesus were saying, hey, I'm speaking your language. You ever use that? When people, hey, he's speaking my language now. In other words, we really connect, we understand. When I go on the internet and I get to coffeegeek.com, those guys are speaking my language when you talk about tamping pressure and all these different things that you have to know to make the perfect cup of espresso. That's my language. So do you understand? So it's like Jesus saying, hey, guy, you, you Parthian over there, you from media, I'm speaking your language. And, and this is a fantastic thing. It's just amazing to me. This is the overlooked portion of Acts chapter two. Do you understand? We're all arguing about the baptism of the Spirit. It didn't happen, it did happen, it does happen, it won't happen. And, and in the midst of all this, the Lord says, hey, remember, this is what I said was gonna happen. It would come, it would spread and, and you would be witnesses, and people are stunned. I hear a Galilean Jew, Peter, speaking Egyptian, and he's talking about the wonderful works of God as if I was talking to someone I knew personally. And, and those Egyptians and those Parthians and those Medians and all those people suddenly knew that God was in their midst singling them out, talking to them. And then in verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Others mocking said, ah, they're full of new wine, they're drunk. Why the comparison to drunkenness? As we'll see later on, it's because there was a sense of great joy. Not everybody is a happy drunk, I know that, but <laughs> there are, generally speaking, we portray drunks as, I think the word is ebullient. Is that the proper pronunciation of that? There is a word, it's our word for today. Is that how you pronounce it, ebullient? Ebullient? Okay, I'll take that. At least I asked. Either one, who cares? But anyway, uh, so great joy. Whenever you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you exude the joy of the Lord. Now there were seekers and there were scoffers. It's always that way when Jesus is revealed through his followers. Peter's sermon would give both seekers and scoffers the opportunity to become saints. There is only a baptism with the Holy Spirit because there is a baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that. We too often talk about the subject as if Jesus were not the most important part of it. It is to reveal him. It is to be witnesses that the baptism was and still is given and received. We haven't resolved every question about this subject and we'll hit it again in the book of Acts, but to the extent that we have put our focus back on the baptizer and not just the baptism, we've accomplished something wonderful. Have you been taught or do you believe that there is no such one-time experience as the baptism with the Holy Spirit? I say you are in danger of self-dependence and of promoting programs instead of Jesus. I could give you lots of testimonies, give you my own testimony, uh, but one that uh, a lot of times, and, and just to keep it within Calvary chapels, uh, there are a lot of Calvary chapel pastors who used to pastor more traditional churches, denominational churches, uh, 
and, and then they saw something else happening and they thought, gosh, you know, this is, there's just, not, you know, what's going on over here? There seems to be an openness and a freedom and there's no, there's no programs and, and, and nobody's forcing you to do anything and you're just sharing the word. And they come into a, an, an understanding that God has given the power to be witnesses and they just receive it by faith. They, you know, sometimes it's accompanied by an experience, sometimes it's not. It's an understanding, it's an awareness, it's an acknowledgement, it's a knowing that there is a way of being a witness for Jesus that it comes from him. And I, you know, I struggle sometimes to, to even explain it, but you can tell sometimes when you're talking to people, and I, the earlier explanation was good you know, in terms of what is your program for evangelism? This is, this is what we're doing to whip people up into a frenzy about evangelism. If you have to whip people up into a frenzy, they're not being wind whipped by the Spirit. It's as simple as that. And, and each of us as individuals, sometimes you stand back and say, do I really understand that? Has there ever been a time in my life when I understood that? That it's not really through my efforts, but through God's power. It's not by might nor by uh, power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Have you been taught or do you believe that the evidence you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues? You need to be set free from that. You need to be Set free from that. This is not what the Bible teaches. I say you are putting the emphasis on self rather than the Savior. These disciples, these 120 on the day of Pentecost, they did not have a charismatic meeting the way you, know, you would think of it today. The Holy Spirit came upon them and he filled them so that they could speak the wonderful works of God to the goal of evangelism, they weren't rolling around on the ground, they weren't screaming, barking, laughing, they weren't speaking in unknown tongues, there was no gift of interpretation, there, there were none of the things of the classic charismatic movement. And so you, you really, and it's mostly Pentecostals who have trouble with this. Most conservatives out there think, oh, okay, Gene, I'll give you that. I still, you know, as long as you're not gonna go crazy and start speaking in tongues in the middle of your message, I, you, we'll, we'll hang with you. But the charismatics, some of you are mad. You're gonna give me a tongue lashing <laughs> a little bit later on. I'm, I know it, but I, I, you know, maybe not here, but there, it, somebody hearing this is going to be mad because you were prayed over and, and you received the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues and you think it's for everybody. You've told people for years that everybody can speak in tongues even though Paul the Apostle says, do you all speak in tongues? You just ignore that and say yes. And so it's very hard for charismatics to come into this understanding. They think that the Holy Spirit is being quenched, that he's being grieved, that I shouldn't even be a pastor anymore. How can I stand here and say these terrible things? She wrote a Honda. <laughs> I, ha I, do, I have the gift of speaking in tongues, and uh, it is not what they did on the day of Pentecost. I'm sorry, it just isn't. All of us need at some point in our Christian walk to realize that the promise of the Father, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, has come, and it is a gift to be received by faith. The light needs to go on. It only needs to go on once. Then... 
You're commanded to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're commanded to cooperate with the indwelling Holy Spirit who is always available to you. The way to cooperate with him is to fill yourself with God's word so that he can use it to lead you and to guide you. And what an awesome combination that is. When you are cooperating with the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Spirit full on for the Lord and you've already understood that he's given you the power to be witnesses, this is an unquenchable wind-whipping fire that will spread through all of your contacts. The baptism is to be realized, the filling is to be repeated. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that uh, there would be no confusion, that there would be understanding, that there would be joy, that I, actually that people would be set free, that they would come out from behind their conservatism or charismatic positions and just receive what you're saying in your word. Not that we've solved every problem or talked about every verse, but Lord, we seem to be saying something beautiful about your son, Jesus Christ, and how to reveal him. We want to do it in the power of the Spirit as his witnesses filled with the Spirit, Lord. Do these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. You know, when I was a young Christian, uh, and man, I was a Christian, there's no doubt about it. Um, my life changed so dramatically. Most of you have been here for a while. You've heard parts of my testimony. Nevertheless, after that happened, I had a friend of mine suggesting to me that there was as he put it, something more, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I got mad at him. It offended me because I knew what the Lord had done in my life and that it was genuine. I just didn't understand. But I remember one time I was driving on the freeway uh, and the Lord and I just had a conversation about it. And, and I decided that, you know, Lord, if there's something more that you want me to realize about you or know about you, I just am open to that. And, and really, it was just kind of a time. I, the only way I can explain it is uh, there was an understanding, an acknowledgement, a light went off in my head that the Lord had saved me and that he would empower me to be his witness. Uh, and I was to depend upon that for the rest of my life. Uh, Never happened again, one-time experience, never has to happen again because you receive it. After that, then you go on, are you filled with the Spirit? Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no, unfortunately, because that's a conditional promise. We can quench the Spirit, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so all of this is for you to now, as good Bereans, those who hear the Word taught, then search it out. Just be honest about what you've been taught, what you're being taught, and ferret it out for yourself. And at the end of it all, it should lead you to see Jesus. Whatever the baptism with the Holy Spirit is, however you would explain it, it is to reveal to the world the baptizer. It is to reveal Jesus Christ. It is so men and women who we have contact with on a daily basis will be perplexed and amazed who will say, what does this mean? You're drunk. They'll be seekers, they'll be scoffers, but God wants them to become saints. 
And so whatever conclusion you come to, it should lead you to a greater dependence on the presence and power of the Spirit in your life, whatever you want to call it. Let's not get too sidetracked and let's not get our eyes off of Jesus. I love this morning that we sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus because this is really the teaching. It's, it's the lost part of this teaching. Think of, those, that, think of that crowd and how amazing it would have been to hear really God speaking through these men to you in your language, in a language you knew that they didn't know, but God knew because he knew their names, their places of origin, their hearts. And it's the kind of thing that breaks open hearts. May God bless and keep you. Some of the guys will be here to pray with you after the service. Avail yourself of that. Come down and pray with them. God bless you.